The car business is rapidly changing and modern car dealers are meeting the demand. I'm Michael Cirillo, and together we're going to explore what it takes to create a thriving dealership and life in the retail automotive industry. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with subject matter experts that are designed to help you grow. This is The Dealer Playbook. Right, gang, an interview 10 years in the making. <laughs> yeah, I'm sitting down with my pal, a great supporter of the show. Um, you know, just someone who's who's just your influence has always been there. I'm sitting down with my pal, Joe Charles Cannon. What's going on, man? General manager at Lexus of I'm not going to be able to pronounce that. How do you pronounce it? Saramani? Yes, sir. I would have I would have went way more Hispanic. It was, I was going to be like Saramonte. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been a big fan of your show forever. I listen to all the episodes, so this is this is awesome. Dang, you you know me probably better than most people in my circle. Then, if you listen to all the shows, <laughs> hey, <no. laughs> well, that's awesome. I'm I'm so glad we were able to line this up. I've got all sorts of questions for you. Um, I want to talk to you about your book. I want to talk to you about your journey in automotive, um, the the recent move from the Jesus homeland of Texas to California, um, and really just get a sense of your journey in automotive because it's been nothing short of of spectacular and all sorts of success. So I think that's where I want to start. Okay. How how do you how how did you get into the business? Um, you know, it was by accident. Uh, I like most people that get in the car business. I was uh, I was in college and I was going to school to be a veterinarian. And that first semester of college where I took all the math and science courses, it just wasn't for me. And I just said, I got to do something different. And so at the time, um, I was looking around for something and uh, my mom was married to this guy uh, whose son-in-law, he was uh, a manager at a Toyota dealership in Houston. And he said, hey, why don't you give the car business a try? I said, okay, I'll try it until I find a real job. And uh, I, uh, I did some <laughs> interviews. I bombed them. I I, the, I just walked into dealerships. It was a local Ford Infinity store in Houston. I just I didn't even I didn't get past the receptions. I was so bad. <laughs> and, and so I, I got I was discouraged. But then I told myself, you know what, just get over it, figure it out. And uh, you know this is 2002, so you had newspapers. So I looked at ads in the newspaper, and there was this ad that said. Uh, guaranteed training uh, placement at a dealership. So I said, cool. I uh, answered the ad, talked to the person. And when I go into uh, this, it's a small little office. There's 10, 10 of us in there and they're talking about the all the money you can make in a car business and all the training we're going to do and we're going to land you at a store in the week. And oh, by the way, it's $500 to do it. But you'll get your money back in 90 days. So uh, they gave us a lunch to figure it out. Right after lunch, um, half the class was gone. <laughs> I, I say, you know what? I'm committed. Let's figure it out. So I did it. I did the training. It was basically the 10 steps of the cell. And they landed us at a store. Right. Uh, Pontiac View GMC dealership in Houston. I was there. And, you know, they how they treat green peas. They just, they rough you up a little bit and try to um, right. test you. And uh, yep. I figured out the first month I sold 17, 18 cars. Second month I sold 19. Third month I sold 13. And so I went to my manager and I, I told him, I said, hey, 
I need my 500 bucks back. He said, oh, no, you don't get that back. He said, you have to average 15 cars a month. I said, oh, well, I did that. He said, damn. <laughs> and uh, I've been doing this ever since. Um, what intrigues me about it, too, is like right out of the gates, you're already averaging more than the average car salesperson, right? Like six to eight cars. You're already like, no. Yeah, it was because I was dumb and I just literally followed the managers. You know, you know how it is. You stay naive, stay hungry. <laughs> and then, at, but shortly after that, that's when I quote unquote woke up and I thought I knew everything. And that's when I just started struggling in sales. And uh, I struggled for a while. And because it was still a job for me and not a career. Right. And um, so I was at the dealership a year and a half. And then I transferred to a Honda store in Houston. I was there for a year and a half. And then I was still listless. I didn't know if I still want to do this or not. And then finally, uh, my manager from my first dealership, he was at a BMW store in Houston. He said, hey, just come down here. You'll make great money. I'll get you in. And and uh, he got sent me over the interview and it went well. And uh, and the rest is history. And that point, I took it more seriously. I love it. At what point? I mean, you've always stood out in my mind as one of the early adopters of branding yourself really putting yourself out there in a different way i mean for as long as i can remember you've had you know a personal brand website you've you know you you've authored a book you're doing all sorts of things that you know i think when contrasted against the industry are beyond the norm what's happening in your mind and at what point in this journey are you like hey i gotta i gotta put myself out there in a different way i gotta stand out from the pack um you know what i started doing was talking to some of the the people in the industry that are very highly successful that were selling 20, 30, 40, 50 cars a month. And I just followed them, asked what they did. They did. They said, hey, write birthday cards, all your clients. I did that. They said, send a newsletter out to your clients once a month. Um, I did that. Um, eventually, it got to where I was doing electronically. I was doing it by hand. Um, they said, send Christmas cards out with your family picture. I did that. And I started seeing the fruits of my labor because nobody was doing it. And, um, you know, you know, and this was, I had a YouTube channel, actually still out there, has some bad commercials, but I did that just simply because just to test myself and see how uncomfortable I can get to market myself. Because before I went into management, my goal was to, to be the top BMW salesperson in the country. And I knew for me to do that, I had to build a, a big, strong following to get there. It wasn't going to happen overnight. And so I just had a consistent plan to constantly brand myself and market myself and, Put myself out there on on this new thing called social media at the time you know this is mm -hmm. 2012 still figuring it out and you know it was uh it was starting to work i was starting to see the fruits of my labor before i got promoted up to management what are some things that you thought would be good ideas that just did not pan out the way that you thought oh one a perfect example um there was a family friend of mine. He he worked at a graphic company. He said, "Hey, I, I I do flyers, and you know, whenever you go to a club and you see flyers put on cars and all this stuff, uh, why don't you why don't you do that?" I said, "Okay, cool. I'll try it out." So this was in downtown Houston. The guy I paid the guys. I forgot how much I paid him, but he printed them and he had people put flyers on cars. And I remember I got so many complaints from people about, "Man, I, you." mess up my car and stuff's on the windshield blah 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 it, it didn't go quite the way i thought but i was like you know what that's you got to try to see what you can get away with yeah no and and what i love about it is it's in that movement i feel like we get clarity yes right most people most people right now 
are sitting at their desk or sitting on the couch. They're being like, how come I'm not getting any inspiration or clarity about what? And what I love about your example is, you know, for those listening or watching, it's in it's in the movement, even though that that in an isolated nature may not have worked the way you wanted. When you pull out and you look at the grand scheme of it, the whole playing field, you're like, hey, but that was that was something that taught me. Absolutely. Or something that gave me clarity about the direction I actually need to go in. And so what was so we talked about sending cards and seeing immediate fruit. How many people do you venture? Like, I mean, there's there's 200,000 plus car sales professionals in the United States. How many of them do you think are are actually deploying something as simple as sending cards out? One percent. If that, I I think the reason why one, unfortunately, our industry, which is good and bad, we're instant gratification. And sometimes you don't see the many results. You're like, oh, I sent a card. I should sell a card today. That's not how it works. This is something that's long term down the line that, you know what, if you do it consistently, three, four, five years from now, you'll see the fruits of your labor. You'll go, oh, it was worth it. And Mm. I was, I was starting to see it. And I tell everybody that. And, you know, only I learned from people in our industry, I learned from, uh, you know, whenever I had a customer uh, that was a life insurance salesperson and I saw they were successful, I would ask them, what are some of the things you did to follow up? And they would tell me and I would implement that and say, OK. And, you know, you just have to look at it as an investment. And for some people, they, they don't want to spend the money to to invest. They don't see again. They see it as a job, not a career. You made you, you used a, a very specific set of words early on, and I think it has to do um, everything that you're talking about has to do with those two words. You said early on, you said, I was still thinking of it as a job, not a career. Do you think maybe that gets in people's ways where they, they haven't yet decided, Hey, I'm all in. And, and as a result, cause I, what am I trying to say here? I think like the minute you go all in and you treat this as a career, perhaps you become much more willing to make those investments. People that are thinking of it as the J-O-B, they're stuck in this whirlpool of instant gratification and try and fail and it didn't work and I give up and and that sort of thing. What's your take? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you have to, once you realize it's your career, you take more, I guess, risk because you know, you know, if this doesn't work, it's no problem. I have another way I can do it. Right. And um, you just, it's like a burn the bridge mentality. You don't have anywhere else to go. You're not thinking, okay, well, if this doesn't work, I'm going to go work in XYZ industry. You just say, I'm going to figure it out. There's people around me who I see are successful. So if they can do it, I can do it. I just need to figure out what my niche is and how do I do that. At what point do you realize I'm going to be a leader in this industry? Wow. You know, I, I guess when I got promoted into management, um, permanently in 2014, um, my GM at the time, he, he, uh, he told me you're, you're meant to do more than what you're doing right now. And, and, uh, you should give management a, a second chance. Cause at the time I did it before and I, I bombed pretty bad. And I told myself at the time, I'll never do it again. I'll just be in sales. But he, he gave me a second opportunity and it just kind of, uh, kept, kept progressing from here. I, I, I'm still learning. I, I humbly say I don't see myself as a leader in the industry. I just see myself as a guy that's just still trying to figure something out every single day. I love it. You you talk about something in your book that resonates deeply with me. Uh, we're going to link to rules of the game, uh, rules to the game rather, in the show notes uh, for anybody that wants to go and get a copy of that. 
Um, you say uh, it's it's this section, the power of personal decisions. You said once I accepted the opportunity to go into management again, uh, I immediately began focusing my drive time on learning management and leadership. But you go on to to basically also imply like health health is important to being a good leader. Uh, you say sound body equals sound mind. Like that is a faculty that is absolutely required to be a good leader. Now this resonates with me. Why? Because I've recently embarked on a fitness journey and maybe it was from reading your book that planted that seed in my mind where I'm like, I can't be the best leader I can be for my, for my agency, for my team over at flex. I can't be the best leader I can be if I'm not healthy. Um, what, did you notice like the minute you started focusing more on that, what were some of the differences that you noticed in your leadership capabilities? Uh, one, it was, my mind was clear. Um, I didn't feel I had more energy because when you eat right, your body just responds accordingly. And the, the analogy I always give is, um, you know, we all have high performance cars. What happens to a high performance car when you put a, a regular fuel when it's needs premium. It's not going to run the same. The same with our bodies. Right. You take care of your body, then everything else kind of, your body, your mind responds accordingly, and you're clear, you're mentally more sharper, and you being mentally sharper can make a difference in you doing a deal or not, and and or you know taking care of your client on something. You'll think of some idea that you may maybe not have thought of if your mind wasn't sharp. So, you know, taking care of yourself, sleeping right, um, all that stuff has made a huge difference for me. And I recommend it to anybody. I had this epiphany the other day. And by the way, Charles, I don't know what the heck's happening to me, dude. But this time around, I mean, I've got, I've lost weight. I gained a little bag. I lost weight again. This time, dude, I'm, I'm actually excited about exercise. I'm actually excited about eating right. You know, like my trainer, I hired a trainer because just because this is how serious I get. And my trainer's like, Hey, with all the lifting and the movement and the cardio, you need to have a cheat meal once a week to replace the, you know, whatever the fancy, you know, lab coat words they use. I couldn't even bring myself to cheat because I'm like, I just have no desire to eat this crappy food anymore. And I look at my wife and I'm like, what the heck's happening to me? Um, and I think it's to your point. Um, food doesn't taste as good as healthy feels is that is that how you think about it i do uh i do sit at my cheat meals though I, I i believe in 80 20 principle you know i always tell people i'm not trying to be a universe or anything like that i still enjoy right. life i still enjoy eating good foods it's just during the week i don't i try to be pretty strict on the amount of water i drink my nutrition exercise and all that stuff um but you're right you eventually get to the point to where when you have those crap or junk food you you taste the difference you're like yeah i don't miss this you know right just a, a desire that you go okay i'm good i don't need it anymore i'm good with eating whatever else right and i i mean like listen gang i'm no health and fitness expert you've all seen me these bingo arms didn't grow themselves but i think i think what's noteworthy here um charles is you see that health and wellness is a critical element of being an effective leader so much so that 
you write about it in your book. And it's something that we never really talk about on the show. I mean, I think I've had one health and wellness expert on the show. I've had some like mindset people, but specifically in the context of leadership, we never address the fact that, oh, wait, maybe the reason you're always on edge as a leader, maybe the reason your team hates you because of how you treat them, maybe all of these like factors of what am I doing wrong could simply be staring you in the mirror every time you look into it, which is that you are not the healthiest version of yourself that you could be. You're not focused on it. Absolutely. 100% agree with that. And you're right. It When you're in shape, it builds a level of self-confidence that not being in shape, you can't buy. You can be, again, and I think it, it's, I just look back at our industry in general. A lot of us don't spend time to eat properly we just eat whatever we can because we're busy working deals and in the middle of stuff you'll drink your red bulls you'll eat a piece of pizza and all that but you know i I tell people you know what spending time preparing your meals and just spending some time eating you will do so much better than just eating the crap all day all the time again it's not ideal you can't always eat properly i get it there's life happens and stuff like that but it can't be just your life to drink Red Bulls and coffee all day and eat pizza and wings and all that stuff and think that you're going to ultimately get the best that you can out of this, out of, out of yourself and out of the industry. Yeah. I just love the visual of if I'm a performance machine, what I put regular unleaded, mm-hmm. like, I just love that thought process. Um, talk to me about the first time you attempt quote unquote leadership in the store. Why was it, why was it such a spectacular disaster? <laughs> Um, it was a, because I didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, it, I, I was an assistant pre-owned manager. Then I became a, they transferred me to a, a local Lincoln store and I was a pre-owned manager there. And then they transferred, but they shut that place down and they transferred me to a Cadillac store and I was there 90 days. And it was just so much for me to learn that I just fell behind and it just didn't win 90 days. I was let go because I just, I didn't do the job right. It was hundred percent my fault. Um, I took ownership of it. And at the time, my ego was hurt. I was like, I'll never do this again. I'll just stay in sales and figure it out. But the second time that I went in, I was way more diligent and making sure I learned. I asked questions all the time and tried to figure out, okay, if I, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing right? I have to also make sure I'm taking care of the people who report to me because that's important because if you don't have their support, it doesn't matter how good you are, you won't, you won't do well. Are you want right. as well as you possibly can? That's a, that's the a lesson I learned early on. You have to take care of the people that report to you. In addition to that, in hindsight, what are some of the most what what are maybe some other um, leadership lessons you learned that are a top, that you believe should be the top priority of any leader in this industry? Be humble. Don't think you know everything. Give the gift of feedback to people who report to you. Even if it's something they don't want to hear, they'll appreciate it uh, long term. Always be transparent as possible with them and be honest because people can read when you're BSing them. And when you do that, it kills. It takes years to build credibility. You can lose it in an instant by doing by lying to them. Um, again, even if it's something they don't want to hear, you're as transparent as possible. And you tell them that you're willing to uh, support them every way they can. Lead by example. Put in the work. You know, I'm, you know, I always, I'm usually the first one here and I'm usually one of the last ones to leave. I'm, I'm doing everything I asked them to do myself. So then 
nobody can ever come to me and say, well, you're not putting the work, so why should I? And I said, well, humbly, I do it. If it takes me making a phone call, takes me closing a deal, uh, you know, pulling every report to justify something, you know, I'm, I'm able to do that. And it, it, it builds credibility with the team and they believe in you long term when you do that. You know, I, I what, what's interesting to me, what strikes me is there, there's kind of two sides of a coin in this industry uh, about pretty much any topic, mm-hmm. leadership, especially being one of them where it's like, oh, well, the reason leadership didn't work is because they were just the top performing salesperson, but they didn't actually have what it takes to be the leader. Uh, or the flip side of the coin is, well, no, I was the top performing salesperson. I worked pretty much in every department. Da, da, da. That's what qualifies me to to be the leader. But as I listen to you speak, there's something, there's kind of an unwritten undertone to both of those sides of the coin being kind of demystified, which is you got to be willing to learn what you need to learn in order to perform the way you need to perform. Oh, absolutely. It's uh, being a top salesperson and being a good manager are two different skill sets. And the top salesperson is not necessarily going to be the best manager and vice versa. And, and the reason why is because when you're a top salesperson, you're really just worrying about you. Right. When you're a manager, you have, you know, however many people reporting to you, you have to take care of them. You have to, um, if it's 10 people reporting to you, you have to realize that all 10 are going to be under a game. They, one may have had an argument at home. One may have money issues. One may have health issues. Um, one may be struggling in some area. And you have to be able to balance and know what their motivations are and how to help them achieve the goals that they want to achieve, which ultimately helps the store goals. Two different things. And it's a skill set you have to learn and and consistently work at it. How long did it take you to find that rhythm? Because, I mean, is there a transition period where maybe you're feeling like, oh, man, like I could just be selling cars, make all this money. Now I'm listening to Nancy complain about her husband playing video games till four in the morning. And that's why she's not performing. Like, how do you find that rhythm of serving them um, and helping? Because the game changes, right? It's like now, like you said, it's not about me performing to, to, to help me. I need to now help these people to help me. Well, I think for me, it helped because I was at the, the B&W store where I got promoted. A lot of the team liked me already, and a lot of them already saw me as a leader because they saw me. I put in the work. I was, if it was a product knowledge question, I was the one they would ask. You know, I, right. I all the little things. So then it was an easy transition for me. From that point of view, I didn't have to build a whole bunch of credibility. And then it just evolved from there. Of My thought process had to be, okay, I need to put money in their pocket. I needed to go out there and close deals. I needed to learn a lot more stuff. And I knew if I did that, they were more likely to listen to me and follow me. And so far, that has worked for me. How do you deal with the the reality that is, okay, all of us have stuff going on. Mm-hmm. However, we still need to move the ball from here to here. How do you as a leader help people get out of their own way? So it depends on the issue, but generally speaking, what I tell people is, you know, when you're in sales, you're on stage, you're, you're an actor. And if you're watching a play on a theater stage and you see the actors going, you don't necessarily care if they have personal issues. You can empathize with it, but you're not there to listen to personal issues. You're there to be entertained in that case. Ultimately, they're here to buy a car. 
or get their right. service. Right. They don't necessarily want to hear your personal problems or see it. And again, it's, it, it sounds cold hearted, but it's not. But <laughs> it, it really, that's how people are. See, I tell people you have to leave your problems at the curb. And yeah. if, if you're really at a point to where you need a day off because you're dealing with something, take the day off because it is, you're not going to be able right. to perform right and also take care of a guest if your mind's not there. It's, yeah, it's better that you take the day in the grand scheme of things than it is for you to come and toxicify. Is that a word of my? Yeah, no, um, I, I know what you mean. Making up yeah. words. Yeah. The entire environment. You know, it's funny. I started laughing because, you know, the other day, dude, I go and get my blood work done. Yeah. This is what I show up to the clinic to do. Just stick the needle in my arm and take my blood so we know where thing. This, this nurse, this was, by the way, the longest check-in I've ever had at any clinic because the nurse, uh, maybe it's the Cirillo curse. I don't know. But, you know, I got, I have complaint department in, in invisible ink written. She's telling me, I'm so glad, you know, my mom, she can't take care of herself. She passed out in a CVS and peed all over herself. And, and, and my grandma, she takes care of herself. She takes the thing. Then my baby daddy won't watch the kids because he did. And I'm like, when do we get to the take my blood part? She wanted to vent to you. You're a psychologist at the time. Uh, yeah. And so, but I resonate with what you're saying because now don't get me wrong, gang. I care about people. And, you know, I, what you're saying, you care about people. It's, that's clear. But I also understand what you're saying which is, but in this specific moment, I am not here to be your therapist. I am here. We're strangers, you know, in the same way that until your, your sales professionals build a relationship with the car buyer, they're strangers. Like, Hey, could I at least come to your kid's soccer game before we get into the whole vent thing? You know, we're, we're not there yet. And so it's, I get what you're saying. It's not a matter of being cold. It's a matter of time and a place. What's the actual objective of what we're doing here? And can we get to that as quickly as possible? I love Steve, Steve Martin, the comedian. Anytime people go, Hey, did I tell you about that time that I blah, blah, blah. And he'll go, would you spare me the details? <laughs> so enthused but would you spare me the details i love it and no that makes perfect sense um and and you also mentioned something earlier about in the moment feedback which i think is so critical how do you how do you develop that muscle to know to have a, enough self-awareness that you are giving um objective feedback constructive feedback in a way that isn't going to destroy these people and make them never want to come back to work. Uh, that's something you learn over time and you have to know how to read your people because some people you can be direct, honest, blunt and just tell them how it is and they'll respond accordingly. Others, if you do that, they'll shut down and, and you'll never hear back from them. So you have to figure them out and just know some people you just have to go at it at a different angle, even though you want to get the message across. And you can't just treat everybody the same way. And that's something I, I am learning. I have learned over time and still learning that and, and learn how to read people and, and to get the message across that I ultimately want. Last question I have for you. You've got a group of green peas sitting in front of you. This is their first venture into the car business. They're call them COVID babies. Yeah. Right. I do all the time. 
<laughs> I do. I seriously, I follow some of my some of my new salespeople. Salespeople, y'all have no idea what this industry is like pre-COVID. So, with all of that experience, I mean, you you get in. You said two thousand two. Yeah. So two thousand two. I mean, there's crisis. There's all sorts of crises yeah. that you've lived through now. Through totally. You know, over the last twenty twenty one years. Uh, what do you? What is the uh, looking back at at the vast expanse of your experience now in the car business? What advice do you give to those green peas coming into the business today? Always learn. Take advantage of social media. I wish I had that twenty years ago. Um, the fact that you could do so much for free and uh, take advantage of your skill set. Don't be afraid to be told no. And know you're going to be told no multiple times. Uh, be a problem solver. That's uh, that's a huge thing. You want to ultimately, the, the customer is here to solve a problem on some level. Also know that nowadays people don't come to visit a dealership just to hang out. Uh, the average, I think there's just that, you know, the vis- people visit 1.2 dealerships. That means they're here on some level ready to buy. And so your job is to listen to them and solve their problem. Uh, I tell them also know your product, but I don't know your product, but know your competition's product so well that you overwhelm the customer by impressing them and they'll pay the money. People mm-hmm. pay for professionalism um, all the time. People pay for convenience. And if you stand out in the market as a professional, people will pay you professional wages. I've learned that they'll pay you. They won't care necessarily. They can go down the street and get the car a thousand dollars less, but they rather deal with you because they trust you. They know you'll take care of them after the sale um, and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I, I go over with Greenpeace all the time and tell them, you know, you, you can have the amount of success you can have in this business really is up to you. You ultimately determine your paycheck, not me. Uh, I can show you analytically how to get there, whatever your goal is. You just have to put in the work. Um, you put in the work daily and have a consistent plan, the sky's the limit. You just, you just shifted my paradigm. Hold on. Processing, processing. (laughs) You know what you just impressed upon me? And now I want to just keep talking to you. Uh, not that I didn't want to keep talking to you, but now I want to keep talking to you about this. I'm good. I'm rolling. Let's roll. (laughs) Um, learning the competition's product so well. As you're saying this, you see how deeply I have to. I have to speak with my eyes closed <laughs> to to get this thought. Pro- you are not a product specialist. You are an. You become their autumn all things automotive specialist who who then just so happens to sell Lexus, which is a huge distinction. I, I hope listeners and watchers are, are picking up on. You're encouraging your people to become their white glove concierge of all things automotive. Oh, absolutely. That- they, if they want to make an appointment for service, have them contact you. If they have a problem with their phone or bluetooth have them contact you if they have a car another brand car and they're having issues have them contact you you want to be their point of contact you want to be to where whenever they think about 
automotive, car, anything, you're the first person that comes to mind. But that doesn't happen overnight. That happens with a relationship that you build over time, over the years. They see you on social media. Um, you're constantly following up and you're building a genuine relationship with people. That's when the sky's the limit in this business. That's when it becomes fun. There's going to be like, there's going to be people that are like, how did you not know that MC? You're an idiot. It's not that I didn't know it. It's the positioning of how I'm thinking about it in this moment that you've inspired this, this thought process. I, you know, one, one of the best car buying experiences we ever had was at a, at a dealership just north of us here in, in Fort Worth. And that's exactly what our sales professional did. We need a loaner. We call him. Car's in for service. He wants to know about it. Uh, um, you know, there was, there was a moment in time where our car was in service so long and they didn't have any loaners and we had to rent a car. And he's like, no, 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 no. And he got it all sorted for us. And he's like, I don't care. You're taking this car. Like, it's going to be fine. To the point now where when we think automotive, we think about Jose. Yeah. Not this Jose. Not Napoleon Dynamite. No, no, no. Away, Jose. But we think about him. And if if the listener only got this portion out of it, who's sitting there saying, well, how do I make a lasting impression? That's really what you're talking about okay. from your early days in automotive all the way to, to now in your leadership journey. You said, leave that impression. Leave that lasting impression. You're going to, hey, Charles, man, you're going to have me thinking about this all day today. That's good. And hey, let me ask you this. I bet you yeah. now if, if Jose, if you're one of, if you're in the market, buy a car and Jose say, I got a car for you and it's a thousand dollars more than, than local down the street. I bet you buy from him. Anyway. I, I'd buy it from him because I know the value that he's given me back Absolutely. far outweighs the thousand extra that I'd be giving him. Yeah. I, I'm like, oh, that's like a subscription fee to get yeah. Jose. Yeah. I'm subscribing $12.99 a month to get Jose. <laughs> I love it. Holy crap. Charles, drop it, drop it all sorts of bombs on me today. Um, I want to thank you for joining me. This has been an absolute delight. I'm annoyed a little bit that it took me this long to uh, circle back round to you. Um, I'd love to have you back on the show without, uh, but that goes without saying. How can those listening contact, uh, connect with you and how can they get their hands on a copy of your book? Um, well, you can go to my website, charleslcannon.com. Uh, my book is on um, Audible. It's on in Apple Books and uh, Amazon. And uh, I am on the social media channels as well. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Instagram, YouTube, all, all that stuff. I'm curious, how, how did how much do you have to pay to get William Shatner to narrate your book on Audible? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love it, man. Thank you so much for joining me on the Dealer Playbook Podcast. I'm Michael Cirillo, and you've been listening to the Dealer Playbook Podcast. If you haven't yet, please click the subscribe button wherever you're listening right now. Leave a rating or review and share it with a colleague. Thanks for listening.